Welcome, everyone, to It's a Rap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire and motivate, and people who can educate us on an array of topics. My guest today is Corby Mitleid. Corby has always been the different one. She is a writer and visionary in a completely medical family. She has always made her own path rather than take one cut for her by others. Leaving an Ivy League university after two years, Corby struck out to find where joy and purpose lived, regardless of what she was told by others of what she ought to do. Her path was not easy. Two failed marriages, a succession of jobs, a series of spiritual paths, breast cancer, not once, but three times. Life for Corby became a roller coaster with no breaks, asking Corby to survive divorce, abuse, poverty, and life-threatening illness. But through all of this, she learned the value of the examined life, meeting challenges and always asking the next question, facing each new situation with strength, courage, humor. Today, Corby brings a full toolbox to her job as a beacon of manifestation and vision for her clients. She knows what it is to create a career out of experiences. She is now a full-time intuitive counselor and inspirational speaker professional tarot reader, psychic, and trained medium. Her career has encompassed positions as a published author, professional actress, television producer, radio personality, executive recruiter, and the power behind the throne for a number of high-profile CEOs. Corby's career now spans the globe with clients worldwide. Her talents as an intuitive are featured in best-selling books. Her clients treasure her attitude of, I'm not special, you can do what I do. Welcome, Corby, to the podcast. It's good to be here. Corby, I read your book, Clean Out Your Closet, The Self-Development Project, and it was fascinating. But before we go into your life story and the new book, could you please tell our audience what an intuitive counselor is and does, and tell us about your other jobs you do as a professional tarot reader, psychic, and trained medium to give everyone a basic footing of who you are and what you do. All right, an intuitive counselor is the comfortable name that you can call a psychic medium. It doesn't mean that we're Madam Hoo-Ha or Swami Swalanda telling you your lottery numbers are when Bruce is going to love you. Our job is to say, here are your opportunities and how to grab them. Here's the tough stuff. Here's how to get through it and around it. Here's your toolbox. Go rock and roll. And like all good physicians, we use more than one tool. I use tarot oracle cards, mediumship, numerology, past life retrieval and analysis, channeling. It depends on what's the most important thing you want to walk out of my session knowing. Okay. So I can't, uh, for example, know who's going to win the baseball game tomorrow or anything like that. When someone says to me, um, will I win the lottery? I look at them and say, well, me first. (laughs) <laughs> and if your psychic isn't driving a Lexus, at least, how do you know she knows? <laughs> gotcha. Let's start at the beginning. Tell us about your years growing up and your thoughts at an early age that there is magic in the world. It started at age nine. I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And I loved what I read and I wanted to go find what they could do. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school. Uh, That was the year Live and Let Die came out. I was working part-time at Spencer Gibson. They had the James Bond 007 tarot deck, and I bought it. 
I mean, Ron, you know, we were all hippies then. Yeah. Elephant bell bottoms, fringe jacket, the deck. Five years later, everybody else moved on to roller skates and disco balls. I was still working with cards. I loved the stories they told. So for 20 years, kept reading for friends, keeping my ego out of it so the message was clear. All of a sudden in 1994, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when I hung out my shingle part-time. On 9-11, I turned to my husband and I said, I need to do the psychic work full-time. People need to know there are other answers out there. He said, I believe in you, go do it. What prompted you to quit uh, your Ivy League uh, university studies? To be honest, this was Brown University and the way they did it in the early to mid 70s, everything was pass fail. You could take your eight courses for your major and then Swedish and basket weaving and you would pass. For <laughs> someone like me who didn't do well without real structure, yeah. I was floating all over the place. Uh, if I had gone to Syracuse, where I also got in, and they had a much more formal structure, probably would have finished with my bachelor's in theater. But that's why. That was also, I left the year that my mother got breast uh, lung cancer herself. She was a four-pack-a-day smoker. And I was completely lost. So for me, college was not the answer. And I had to go find out what in the world makes sense. So after you decided to strike out on your own to find joy and purpose, uh, obstacles get in the way. Would you please mm -hmm. tell us a little of what you had to face uh, head on and what did you do to get through all that and come out on top? Well, um, I got married in 1979 to someone that my parents absolutely hated and his parents hated me. Marriage lasted less than a year. The first time he hit me, I walked out. Wow. 12 years later, um, I married another guy kind, sweet. Um, that marriage only lasted two years because I was not the first person he'd married. And he said, don't like being married. Don't like sharing my money. I'm moving to California. There's nothing you can do. Goodbye. Wow. That was being left in Atlanta, Georgia. And I grew up outside Philly. I'm living in upstate New York now. I am not a magnolia. I'm a bagel. I needed to get out of Atlanta fast, but it took me several years. Um, rape was in there. Uh, poverty was in there when, when my first marriage, I was living in a place, 42nd and Osage in Philly, that was known as Rape Central. The building had hot and cold running roaches. And the one time my parents came and visited us, there was a drunk sleeping in the hallway. Now, mind you, I grew up upper middle class right. in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So my parents were horrified. My brother, meantime, had gone to my father's college, my father's medical school. He's great physician, married, had kids. I was the, the family failure and no one ever expected anything. I was always the one that they regretted because she had so much potential and obviously was never going to be anything. Well, I was finding my own path and I'm something now. So 1994, you hang out your shingle uh, mm -hmm. to follow your passion and use your gift part-time. Yep. And you talked about what prompted that move. Mm -hmm. And let's be frank. Canada's foremost offbeat author, enter the literary world of Frank Talibert, a natural storyteller whose compelling thoughts are freed from the depths of the heart and the subconscious before being poured onto the page. Literature written beyond the realms of genre, he is known to grab readers, kicking, screaming, laughing, and crying, and drag them into his novels. 
His Stillwater Runs Deep series includes three books, Raven's Lament, The Lure, and The Awakening. Raven's Lament deals with what if a native legend came back to life and was saddened by the destruction of his people, their culture, and their environment? What if that legend was Haida, creator god Raven, and he spirited away the girl you were falling in love with? What if you didn't believe in native spiritualism and found yourself battling Raven with only a shaman to help you? Inspired by true events that took place on the Queen Charlotte Islands off the coast of British Columbia, Canada, Raven's Lament centers on a journalist who investigates a killing tied into the destruction of an old-growth forest and becomes tangled up in a spirit war. He finds love and meaning as he encounters a century-old prince formerly imprisoned along with Raven in a rare golden spruce tree. Book two, The Lure. Ever go out for the evening and not remember what you did? What if there was a bar where spirits can enter your inebriated body and use it until you sober up? Well, such a bar exists in Stanley Park in Vancouver, Canada, where the city's mayor has been murdered, his family missing, a dangerous witch has been released from her centuries-old imprisonment, and an intriguing and extraordinary shaman shows up only to vanish after leaving cryptic clues. So begins Detective Carol Ainsworth's first case. Book three, The Awakening. Put a shaman bearing a baseball cap and cane up against an awakening mystical god emerging from hundreds of years of sleep in a high-security prison, and things are bound to get a little strange. Oh, and for a side plate, have a gentle native spirit abduct one of the guards in order to get revenge on the human that killed her mother. Agatha Christie, roll over in your grave. Shaman Charlie Stillwaters convinces Carol Ainsworth, a Vancouver detective, to join him as he breaks his way into a high-security prison. The duo are determined to find out who killed the previous native elder before all lightning and thunder breaks loose. They encounter deranged inmates, mystical beings, ancient serpents, and someone who should have been dead a long time ago. Not your usual crime mystery, not your usual criminal investigators. You thought Jack Nicholson was mad in The Shining. Wait until you meet Charlie Stillwaters in the Sweat Lodge. These fine books in the series are available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. The book's information will be listed in the podcast notes, the podcast Facebook page, and the podcast website. So what, what exactly prompted the move in 2001 to go full-time? It, was, it, was it the World Trade Center? It was literally not. We were literally watching the towers burn. Yes. And it was one of those tap-on-the-shoulder messages from God, spirit, the universe, you're drafted, show up to your boot camp. Um, I was working at that point 70 hours a week as an executive recruiter. And so for a year, I did that plus did the psychic work evenings and weekends. Once I was sure I could make a living at it, closed the door in corporate. I've never looked back. It's been 20 years. I work six days a week. I read a thousand people a year. I get to get up in the morning. I don't have to get up in the morning. That right there is treasure. That's your passion. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about your book. Sure. The title of it is Clean Out Your Closet, The Self- Life Closet. Your life closet. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. That's important. Clean Out Your Life Closet, The Self-Development Project, A Self-Help Book. So Corby, let's start out. Why do people buy self-help books in the first place? Oh, because we are all told we don't know enough, we're not good enough, go find an expert. Look, it's been a victim mentality for years. Look at things like Extreme Makeover, 
If you are ugly, they'll give you a new face. If you don't have a good house, they'll give you a new house, but only if you're a victim. Normal people can't get that. Right. So this goes the opposite direction. What this book says is you can't possibly do everything I tell you to do. For one thing, think of another self-help book. If they say avoid foods with leptin and you have to do yoga at five in the morning and you're a mom with two preschoolers and a job, it is not going to happen. Right. So my whole thing is you write the book with me. You plumb your own depths, you look at your own adventures, and you learn to trust your own knowing. And the way you do that is at the end of each chapter, I have things called adventure pages. And you cannot answer them from anything you read in the book. You have to answer from your own experience. There's a chapter called How Perfect Destroys Good. Here are the questions. Where do you beat yourself up most often and why? Reimagine one of those times with the idea that good can triumph over perfect. What does it look like now? How would your life change if you stopped thinking perfection was the only correct response to a project or situation? I don't know those answers for everybody that reads my book, but they do. And when they learn, right, when they learn that what they know is valid and valuable, that's when their life starts to change. Now, you say people... Uh, buy these self-help books, but then they don't read them. What, why do you think that is? Because you get the sexy title and the great cover, and maybe there's a testimonial on the back, and you read a couple of pages, and a couple of pages looks good. But then when you get at home and you read the entire book, it is usually, hi, I've written this book, and I know exactly what you should do, and if you don't listen to me, your life is going to suck. No, because the person who wrote this book in... Thousand Oaks, California, or Boston, Massachusetts, doesn't know you. Right, right. They're letting so, her. E- they're letting her ego get in the way. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's it's my other book, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road. There are a lot of books out there that the psychic says, and I'm the only good one out there. So come to me. I don't care if you never have a session with me. If my book is useful and it teaches you how to be careful and trust a good intuitive. I'm fine. All boats rise. So why? Uh, okay, we talked about why most self-help books don't work. Uh, why is your book different besides just the questions and the adventure pages? Because I trust my readers. I do. Okay. I mean, each chapter is here's some of the stupid things I did. And maybe I'll have a story about a client. And here's some suggestions. Take them if they fit. The other thing is I remind people to be happy Martian detectives. Now, what's that? Yeah. Um, Let's put it this way. If you were sitting in front of me and crying, tears coming down your face, I would look at you and say, why are you crying? I'd immediately judge it. But a Martian who comes down here and he is assigned to learn about humanity knows nothing about us. And he's this little cheerful dude who looks at you and goes, why is there water coming from your eyes? You could be more right than I am because maybe it's your contact lenses or maybe you're having allergy attacks or maybe it's emotional. So when we all go into something like Martian detectives, not judging, right? you would be amazed at the truthful answers that you come up with for you. Well, I did read that in the book and it made perfect sense. And I, and when I did look around, started looking around at people, 
yeah, I said, wait a minute, there might be a, a lot of reasons why what's happening is happening. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't judge it like, oh, he looks like, you know, a bum or whatever. You don't know. Yes. You know, you yes. just don't know. Corby, what was the catalyst for you to write the book? You know, clients have things that come up all the time. And I put a survey out to my clients and I said, what's the thing that bites you in the butt most often? Mm-hmm. And the four things they came up with was I need clarity in my life. Um, I feel like I need simplicity and I don't know how to get rid of things. I need to learn how to go with the flow and I have no idea. And oh my God, stress. So those were the four parts of the book and each part got four chapters so that people can really do a deep dish dive into these situations. So the book's based on four things, as you said, that we wrestle with clarity, simplicity, adaptability, and stress. Right. And you talk about friends with stress, (laughs) which people look at me and say, what? Yeah. You talk about clarity. Now, why why is it so important? Yeah, we are asked to multitask all the time now. And unfortunately for us, with social media and how fast the world is going, our um, attention span is eight seconds. Yeah. And a goldfish is 12. We have less than goldfish. I can't believe that. We do. They've done stuff. I mean, I do believe it, unfortunately. Um, but the thing is, if we're clear on what we want, we can also be clear on what we don't want and get rid of it. Okay. Um, that's why I say clarity is a three-legged stool. You need to get clear on your purpose. You need to get clear in your relationships. And you need to get clear with spirit. And that is however you see upstairs Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, pagan, or believing Ralph the Wonder Dog. Gotcha. So it's uh, purpose, relationship, and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about simplicity, are you referring to cleaning out our real closets or, or what? Everything. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Um, one of the chapters is um, life is a tiny house. When you think about these gorgeous little 400 square foot houses, um, Everything in there has a specific purpose and there aren't any duplicates. Now, if you have a house, you and your spouse and three kids, everybody needs their own toothbrush, but not everybody needs their own copy of Harry Potter. That's an example of downsizing correctly. I even give an exercise in there, put 30 things on the table and look at them all and then put them away and try to remember what you had, you'll go blank. Your mind will go tilt. But if you put five things on the table and you look at them and you do the same exercises, you will know exactly what was on the table because your mind is not so crowded that things are slopping out your ears. When you have that simplicity, you breathe better and you're better at what you truly want to have in your life. You know, you, you even mentioned that in the book. I think it was uh, you could hang your clothes on the rack one way. Mm-hmm. And then when you use them, hang them back another way. And then yep. at the end, see see how, how many you don't use. So That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I did I'm that working on that one. I'm actually white, doing that. I did that with a white pair of pants. I swore to God two years ago, I'm going to wear those white pants. I haven't touched them. They're going yeah. to the thrift store. Yeah, yeah. Now, how can you clean out happiness? Does it ever even get messy? 
Of course it does. Happiness is what you got right now. All right, now I'm a cook. I love cooking. Um, if I decide today I'm going to cook and maybe I don't have all the ingredients, well, fine. Let's see what I can work with with what I do have. If I was making plans for today, a perfect example. Um, I had all kinds of plans for last week. And then on Tuesday, I got a call from a buddy of mine. I had gone to do a uh, photographic shoot with him. And he said, I just got tested positive with COVID. Obviously, I'm not going to do everything that I was planning to do. So it's number one, start taking all my stuff to make sure that if I have COVID, I'm beating the sucker to death. Um, And fine. So I'm not going to go out. What can I do here? If I needed to go out, can somebody else go out for me? And I was perfectly happy to let my body deal with the nasty little bug, if bug there was, and get everything else done, just moving things around. Happiness is, I am delighted to be where I am right now. Remember what I said about what I do. I don't have to get up in the morning. I get to get up in the morning. Doesn't mean that a 14 hour day, which I do six days a week is easy. But I remember who I used to be, and I see what I am now at 66. Right there, there's happiness and there's gratitude. Right, right. Where, where else can, it, can uh, people simplify their life? They can simplify it with what they allow into it. I believe that there's a chapter that I have called Carry Experiences, Not Things. And I talk about four kinds of people in there. Uh, One of them is the toys people. They're the ones who have to collect everything. They've got every Star Wars toy known to man or depression glass or Grateful Dead tickets or whatever. It's always the thing. Right. And they're never satisfied. There are what I call the Rolodex people. And for, you know, millennials and Gen Z, that is like talking about a rotary phone. But uh, a Rolodex person is someone who collects people and connections and says, well, I know this person, I know this person. See, that makes me important. Yeah. Then there's the been there, done that people. They are the ones who want to go on every cruise ship uh, maiden voyage. They want to go to every new restaurant the first time, first day it's open. They collect experiences like not just on a bedpost. But I love the connection people. The connection people will uh, take everything down to the rind. Let's say that they decide they're going to go and volunteer at a a food kitchen because it's no kid hungry. It's not just, see, I'm doing this. It's not collecting the little button that says volunteer. It is the action of blessing the food. It is handing it to someone who's hungry. It is making the eye-to-eye connection. Right. Those are the four kinds of people, and I have made it a practice to be the fourth one. The connection, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk a lot about perfection in your adaptability section. Uh, why is it such a problem? There is a saying, perfection is the enemy of good. And the chapter that I wrote about that, uh, people literally get to know about my family. Um, because my mother was not what my grandmother wanted my father to marry. Uh, she was first generation American. Her parents didn't even speak English. They lived above a corner store. My grandmother who had literally, when she was pregnant with my father, tested out first and second names that would be good with Dorkin MD. Dad was going to be a doctor whether he wanted to or not. <laughs> I mean, this just blew up my, my grandmother's whole plan. 
And so she spent her entire life, my mother's entire marriage to my father, basically emotionally beating on my mother and undercutting her and telling her how she was never good enough. Okay. Bad, yeah. bad situation. Very dysfunctional yeah. marriage. Bad for me. Mom died at 59. Back to the smoking. Yeah. And then a year later, my father married a wonderful woman. Her name was Shirley. And Shirley knew perfection isn't that important. She didn't worry about how she was dressed. She didn't worry about makeup. She didn't worry about um, whether the house was pinned straight or not. She was busy loving my father and loving life. And because she didn't dwell on perfection is the only reason for things. Life was perfect in a far more important way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, the book talks about uh, going with the flow. But you yep. say that there are places where you should stand your ground. Uh, mm -hmm. could, could you elaborate on that? Oh, yeah. Uh, what happened for me today? Um, because people are very lax about masks and a lot of people are not vaccinating, I no longer do in-person events. No, I love them. I mean, I used to do expos four days, read 70 people, do two lectures. They, they had me flying. Um, this was one that they said, we're going to have an event on the 17th. Would you please come and read from 10 to four? We'll be happy to pay you. It's a great event. Someone said you were wonderful. And I wrote back and I said, I would love to, but I'm so sorry. Until vaccinations are more prevalent and people are serious about wearing masks, I am doing no outdoor events. Did I lose money by saying no? Yes. Um, did I possibly lose future clients? Yes but my health is the most important. And Absolutely. so I stood my ground. Okay. Politely, but firmly. You say stress is a complicated friend. Oh, yeah, can, huh? can, can stress ever be a friend? Oh yeah. Um, when you, you are about to go into an important interview and you're rubbing on all cylinders or you're gonna go out on stage, or Simone Biles is getting ready to jump on the balance beam. That's stress, but it's called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -E -S -S, good stress. Bad stress is what you put on yourself. It's constantly overthinking things. It's overscheduling yourself out of guilt. It's saying yes when you wanted to say no. It's being afraid you're going to disappoint somebody without even talking to them. That's bad stress, and that's what you put on yourself. And I talk about two specific kinds of stress like that. Stress as the shot across the bow and stress as mission creep. Shot across the bow is when something, boom, hits you right in the face and you realize, how dumb was that? Mm -hmm. The example I use in the book is I was really busy at a reading event and didn't want to take time for lunch. So I grabbed a couple of very high calorie, high sugar raspberry bars and inhaled them. All of a sudden, blood pressure went up heart started to hammer and it was like big mistake but it was such an enormous mistake because I was stressed out I never did it again mission creep is one of those things where the example I use a woman loves knitting baby clothes somebody said that's great could you knit some baby clothes for our group yes then someone says I'm part of the uh, local public uh, television station could you do some for our pledge drives Yes. And now could you do them with this pattern and this wool by our underwriters? Yes, yes, yes. To the point where knitting used to be relaxing for her. 
Yeah. <laughs> but now she has so many conditions and deadlines that right. once she finishes, she put the knitting away. She never went back. Bad stress. Yeah. Bad stress. Definitely. What would you say to someone about to open this book? Please enjoy it. Use a highlighter. I gave you big margins if you want to write in the margins, even if you want to argue with what you're, you're reading. Only take from it what works for you. It's not okay. the gospel. It's not the tudlika. It is not the only answer out there. Try things out. If they work fabulous, if they don't, toss them. Mm. You're not hurting my feelings. You're doing exactly what the book is meant to do for you. Give you your tools. Corby, what are some of the myths people have concerning your field? <laughs> oh, do we have about six hours? No, nah, take all your right. time. We have all kinds of time. Okay. Number one, no, I don't go reading your head as you walk by in the grocery store. And my, my dear listeners, anybody who walks up to you in the grocery store and does things like, I've got a message from your aunt Dora. She's back tire. It's bold. And you're going to die in an accident if you don't get it fixed in a week. Just telling you, that's called a drive-by psychic shooting. You just tell them to get out of your face and you refuse the information. And if they keep pushing, you get the manager of the store to throw them out. That's harassment. Yeah. Um, yes, we charge. People say, oh, well, you're not very spiritual if you charge for what you do because it's a God-given gift. So is my brother's talent as a pulmonologist. In the old days, you know, second century Ireland, when you went to see the, the seer, the fortune teller, whatever, for the clan, you brought a chicken. You brought some firewood. You're not bringing that to me. It gave him something, so, right? Yeah. Right. So you're either going to pay me for my services, or maybe we'll, we will barter, but I have to okay that first. And there are occasions when I do what's called pro bono for the good. Um, on Sunday, I did a one-hour free reading uh, session on my Facebook page. I do it once a month, fast answers for quick questions. But if that's all you need, then take that and go. You don't need to pay to hear a two minute answer like that. Simple as that. Um, we do not worship the devil. Thank you very much. Um, what, give me some of the other ideas that, that people have about us. Um, we don't know the lottery numbers. Sorry, darlings. We really, really don't. And um, well, well we, my my question, I think a lot of people is is with being a medium yep. and, and talking to to dead people. To, 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 to dead people. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say deceased, but we'll say dead. No, no. Uh, I am about as as practical and okay. normal as you can get. I talk uh, to dead people. That's a gift, obviously. Mm -hmm. But everybody can do it. We are all wired like the same house plan, guys. Yeah. It is a matter of do you want to practice or not? The example I use now is we all have 10 fingers. Everybody can play chopsticks. Some of us really like the idea of playing music. So we study the scores and we practice our scales and we get pretty good. I'd say I'm right in there. And one in 10 million is Elton John, but we all have 10 fingers. So, yes, you can do what I do may take you some practice, but there are 7 billion people in the world. I can't read them all. And eventually I'm going to be dead too. So if you want to get into this field, come on in. There's plenty of room for you. I guess my question would be uh, being a medium and talking to dead people. Do you actually 
hear a voice or, or how, how does that work? It depends. It depends. Um, there are all kinds of ways of doing mediumship. There are some amazing people who can just start reaching and pulling down people. The best medium I ever knew was my dear friend. She's now up there herself, uh, Allie Cheslet. We called her Chatty Kathy of the Dead because you pull the string and Allie just went and went and went. I'm a little different. I asked for dog tags so that I can get right into it. Example, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Notice that doesn't tell me anything that gets me into the energy. And then what happens is it's almost like the spirits play charades with me. If my two fingers go to my mouth, it's they smoke. If I my hand goes to my chest and pulls out, they had surgery. If the heel of my hand hits my forehead, it means that it was a fast death or an accident. But there will be certain things. Two fast examples. A woman wanted to speak to her father-in-law. All of a sudden, I felt myself miming a pool cube. He taught her how to play pool. There was a woman in Canada who wanted to speak to her grandfather, and all of a sudden, I feel myself saluting. Now, Americans salute with a palm down. Yeah. Brits and Canadians, the palm out. She had just graduated from the Royal Canadian Mountain Police Academy, and he was acknowledging and saying how proud he was. But that's not, it's a rose she loves you. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the reasons I will not do mediumship publicly or on the air is because there have been occasions where I've heard what they are saying and I say it right out loud and it is not for public consumption. Right, right. Now, do you do this uh, online? I do it online. I do it at, yeah, before the year of Murder, Hornet, Bingo, and Hold My Beer, I did it at Psychic Fairs and Holistic Expo. Um, remember, people say, how could you read me online? Guys, I'm reading your energy. If I could only read you in person, how do you know I'm not reading your body language? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, besides, I have clients in um, Bolivia. They're not going to come up here to Schoharie County, New York with the sheep and the cows. So it has to be online. Okay. Corby, what excites you going forward, going forward with your work? Well, right now I am trying out if you will, the cloak of the elder. As I say, I'm 66 and the world is nuts. And unlike a lot of boomers, I realize we are no longer the center. We had the sweet spot when we grew up, but the world is changing and we'll never go back to that. And it's a whole different set of circumstances. So as an elder, I know that I'm moving off the center of the stage right. and ceding it to others. So I am passing on the knowledge that I've got, and I have an absolutely incandescent student that I've had for two years. It is now elder and apprentice. She's 14. I think she's going to be a better reader than I am by the time she's 21. And we're working on a book together because there are no books out there for teen psychics that aren't written just by the adults. And it's time that one of them joined and wrote one for herself. That sounds exciting. Definitely. Great fun. Corby, how can people contact you? Oh, they can't avoid me. Um, <laughs> you can go to my website, which is corbymitlide.com. You can find me on Facebook at Fire Through Spirit. You can find me on Instagram and Pinterest and YouTube and Patreon, all under, oh, and Twitter, all under Corby Mitlide. And you can find my books on Amazon. Okay. I am going to uh, put all that information for our audience into the podcast notes. 
Thank you. And I, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and giving the audience uh, who were not familiar with it, your expertise, the ability to now, now explore the subject more extensively for themselves if they are so inclined. All the best to you, Corby, going forward. Uh, comments and suggestions uh, to improve the podcast are appreciated. You can email us at itsarapwithrap at gmail.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our website is itsarapwithrap.com. We're on Facebook, It's a Rap with Rap. YouTube, all the podcasts are on YouTube. It's a Rap with Rap, the podcast uncut. And we are on Instagram, It's a Rap with Rap. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap. <laughs>